When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Chance of a commentator's curse, first ball. <laughs> Against them, please. Here we go. Catch it! Well, that oh could God, be it. it. That could be it, Greeny. First oh! ball. He <laughs> 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 didn't have to say anything, Greeny. Uh, that was Australia's new test opener. Steve Smith being dismissed very, very first ball of the Sydney smash for a golden duck. And you heard the insane laughing of Chris Green, the Thunder captain, who, who took a lot of joy in that and um, did throw a commentator's curse onto Steve Smith and it worked. Well, you are listening to the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. I'm Menas. It's Saturday morning. I've, I've spent all night at the cricket at the Sydney smash at a rec- with a record crowd and I'm joined by Gav Joshi. Good morning, Gav. Good morning, Menas, and good morning, everyone. Weren't you the man who was sort of right between the nets, between Cam Bancroft and Steve Smith and watching a close eye and um, maybe <laughs> del- dishing out a few sledges? I don't know to whom, but um, t- tell us more about it. <laughs> well, um, yeah, we, we got there early because there was a helicopter bringing David Warner in for the match. So uh, David Warner was attending his brother's wedding up the coast and had to come back for the Sydney smash, so hired a helicopter and it was organised to land on the SDG at 4.45. And therefore, there, you know, a lot of time between that and first ball at 7.15. So I wander out the back and I see Steve Smith in one net and then in the next net, Cameron Bancroft. Smith in his sixes colours, Bancroft in his thunder colours. colours. And I'm thinking, poor Cameron Bancroft, he's just been snubbed as test opener for Steve Smith and now he has to go about his business in the next net. Um, but what do you think? It's very box office of David Warner to arrive in a helicopter to a big bash game. I mean, box office, Sydney Thunder have chipped in. Of course, Cricket New South Wales have chipped in um, for the for the cost. I think it was five $6,000. But, hey, if, if, if they put managed to put, you know, extra... 5,000 bumps on seats and, you know, all the all the sort of the money that's been poured in with a lot of people going there, then it's probably worth it. But Absolutely. Hey, and it, was a, it uh, worked. It was a publicity stunt. There were cameras there. You know, it yeah. was all over social media and the news. I mean, it was great promotion for the Big Bash. There, there, there was something that it was the third most cracked flight ever in the history of aviation yeah i heard that stat somewhere so whether that's true or not i'm not sure but wouldn't be surprised everyone was tracking it 
<laughs> I'm sure if uh, Flight Radar, um, they would have seen that little chopper come in. I, I know I had a mate going, I wonder if it will pop up on Flight Radar um, 24. I don't know if he tracked it, but no, no, well, I'm sure there were some. You might have been tracking it. And how was it, though? Uh, it was very yeah. good. And um, there was a funny moment. Sean Abbott from the Sydney Sixers um, was a bit of a sledge for Warner. He filmed himself. He got someone to film him arriving on a, a lime bike and, um, you know, biking to the the, the smash. Um, but I, I think, you know, next year the challenge is now for the Sixers to sort of do better than Warner. So I'd like Steve Smith to arrive in a jetpack or something. <laughs> yeah, um, you never know. I, th- I think yeah. they should. I mean, it, it, you know, T20 cricket is such entertainment. Um, I, I think every player should have to come up with something unique. Dremoyne Oval right by the water, maybe the ferry, um, if they ever yep. play T20 cricket there. Well, how about like scuba diving? Like you, you jump off a boat and arrive in scuba gear and you just take off the scuba scoot and you've got your cricket gear underneath. Mm, which Australian cricketer could pull that off, you reckon? I know, Stoinis. probably a few Queenslanders. Yeah, Stoinis. There'd be a few good with the water, you know, a few from Manly, Ollie well, Davies. Stoinis probably just wants to take that jacket off, but all the wetsuit off. <laughs> Get his pecs out. <laughs> um, so, yeah, great stuff from David Warner. i got to say, if, if you want to see some very good fit, footage of the, the helicopter landing, head to my socials, Amen is on TikTok or Twitter. i got a great video because i got sort of I was the only one to get up onto the second level of the members and sort of film it from a different angle. So anyway, that was a helicopter arriving to the Big Bash. But let's get into the cricket headlines because we're coming to you again this week because there's been a lot happening since we last recorded. So we flagged this with Dan Churney that Steve Smith would be the next test opener. So that was the main news. It's been confirmed. And then um, Matt Renshaw has been added to the squad as the, the spare batter. And George Bailey said, it's not just because he's versatile, but Matt Renshaw's record in all forms of cricket is just as good as his competitors, say, Marcus Harris or Cameron Bancroft. And the, the fast, the spare fast bowler is still Scott Boland in the test squad. So first question for you, Gav, do you think Cameron Bancroft has a right to feel hard done by? To an extent, yes. Um, my... Issue with Cameron Bancroft is I think there's still a huge technical glitch. I mean, at the end of the day, he goes and scores runs, so he can say, well, if there is a technical glitch, then why am I scoring all these runs? But I, I think when you have a technical glitch, when it's the ball coming back to him, and I think international team, it's, you know, an international st- standard of bowlers can be more accurate for the longer period of time. And when you set a field where Cameron Bancroft, we know, I think it was a shield season, last year he was caught at leg gully like four times um so when they set a field can he opt his way out i don't know if he he can in shield cricket can he do it at that next level that would be my doubt so i understand he'll be disappointed but i also understand where the selectors and and the brain trust are coming from i think Renshaw. Been left-hander, 27 years of age. Probably there is a bit of future there. We don't know how long Usman Khawaja just got. He's batting well at the moment, so he's probably got 12 or maybe even two years left. But And I think that's why Renshaw was picked because of his purely because of his age. I think Cameron Brown cross proven that he'll score more runs, but I think Renshaw's just got the gig because he's younger. Uh, but would he be disappointed? 
Yes, but look, I mean, Stuart McGill has a thousand wickets if Shane Warne's not around in that era. Mm. So it's one of those things. And But I just wanted to ask you men as well, we're on this opening topic. Um, you know, David Warner did go through, you know, if his form deal dipped. Did we not have so many openers even five, six years ago? Um, because I, I don't know. Like, I mean, weren't there enough? openers putting pressure on David Warner and was that something that should have been sort of looked into um, which might not have created this sort of problem uh, if you couldn't call it that yeah look I think there I mean clearly there's been a few openers knocking on the door I mean we just named three Bancroft Harris and Renshaw but I think what's clear is none of them had the qualities that Warner had, that aggressive intent at the top of the order. I mean, Warner's record is incredible at home. So he was able to, you know, sort of use that for his last few years to keep himself in the team. But, you know, you, you make some really good point, points about Renshaw. I mean, sorry, about Bancroft. I don't think he has a, a reason to feel hard done by. His strike rate at first class level is 43. Mm. So as you say, when you step up to test level, the bowling is going to be more accurate. So that strike rate could even be below 40. And that not only is not really the way Australia wants to play, but it also doesn't match well with Usman Khawaja. You can't have two batters out there sort of leaving every ball outside off stump for yeah. two hours. So they're, they're and, not and a good fit that yeah, was. Yeah, and you're absolutely on, on, on that point. Then comes Manus, who, who who's not going to, you know, burst out of the blocks either. Um, so, you know, you get a very sort of – and. You know, you get those situations where Australia might be sort of none for 60 in the first session, then they might be, you know, one for 120. But, you know, you might get through where you need somebody to take the bowling on. And I don't think, and there has been criticism in the past. And if you look at record, apart from a couple of good partnerships, Manus and Smithy, even when they've batted together in recent times, the opposition still feel they're in control of a match to an extent because they don't really take the game away from you. And you're right, I think Bancroft, and given how Usman Kawaja bats as well, I just feel like Australia needed some expansion. Um, and, and, and yeah, I don't, you know, I, I'm, I'm totally with you on, on that point as well. Yeah, so I'm, th I'm sick of all the whinging, like all this whinging out of WA that Bancroft should be there and his manager putting out statements that Bancroft was upset. I mean, let's be honest, like if you just boil it down, in the end, Cameron Green was preferred over Cameron Bancroft. Even though Smith is the opener, what they've yeah. done is they've moved Smith to open because they want to get Cameron Green into the side ahead of Cameron Bancroft. In Cameron Green's short first-class batting career, he's shown, he's shown way more than Cameron Bancroft. That's no knock, knock on Bancroft. Green mm. could be a generational talent. He's, you know, averaged over 50 in the shield, big daddy hundreds, and he's only 24. He can bowl 140 clicks plus, and he's probably the best gully fieldsman in Australia. So I don't think it's as much as a knock on Cameron Bancroft as it is a compliment to Green and how much they want to get him in the side. Um, so I think that's kind of been lost. It's weird for Western Australia to be, you know, kicking and screaming about Bancroft <laughs> because if Bancroft gets picked, Smith stays at four, Green stays out of the side. So they're whinging about a Western Australian being picked for another Western Australian. <laughs> exactly. It's just like <laughs> whinging. Now, now I've got a, a bigger picture question for you. So obviously mm -hmm. we've got these two tests against the West Indies, then we go to New yep. Zealand for two tests. And yep. they're really important. But then 
The next test cricket after that is next summer. We're hosting India for five tests for the very first time. So it's a history-making history tour. And then the team is looking like this now, that we'll have Smith, Kawaja, Labashane, Green, Head and Marsh as your top six. And then you obviously Carey, Stark, Cummins, Lyon, Hazelwood. I think that'll be the 11, unless there's injuries or severe form slumps between now and next summer. So what I want to ask you is, do you think that's a team that can beat India for the first time in Australia in two tours and <laughs> beat them for the first time in a series since 2014? 11 months, it's still 11 months away, man. This is a long way to go. Uh, but it, it can. I mean, it depends on form. It depends on what strategy India come up with. We saw them lock down, you know, pretty much Smith and Manus last time they were out here with those sort of, some people might call it very defensive leg side field. Um, interesting talk, you know, listening to Steve Smith uh, in recent times talk about how he's always felt that, you know, because he's a leg side dominant player, he's been able to score so many runs because it's a packed offside field. But Teams are changing now, and I think the Indian bowlers naturally, because they play on the so, slow, low wickets growing up, they can attack the stumps a lot more, and they're more, you know, better at that line. Um, and because of that, they can set those fields. So, oh, they, look, they, they, that's it's a long way to go. Um, but I think a big challenge is someone for Cam Green. Can he do it at number four? He's done it at Shield level. There'll be pressure on. I still think there's a bit of doubts about how he faces the short ball, which sounds terrible because he's six foot six. But sometimes tall players can have difficulty playing the short ball because they can't really duck under it. Mm. Um, so he's going to be tested. I think that New Zealand series is going to be absolute ripper. I'm not sure if Carl Jamison will be fit. Um, New Zealand's got to, you know, we know how good their bowling lineup is. Um, and, uh, you know, the batting's quite good. So I think rather than thinking too far ahead, and and look, West Indies might have a couple of guys who might ruffle, you know, this Australian um, batting lineup as well. Yeah, you're being a bit optimistic there. Oh, I mean, there's still a few quick bowlers going around. Kemar Roach is still there. <laughs> um, That's but, true. Yeah, uh, look, it's a long way. I think that New Zealand. I, I just think I just test. think the balance of this team looks really good for a five-test series against India. Having Green as your extra bowler. Mm. I just think it adds a lot to the top six. But you're right. I mean, there's a long way to go. But I just think heading into that big series, if this is the way we shape up, I think it's pr looking pretty good. Yeah, I mean, who, who knows? But Matt Renshaw can start off like next summer with 300s in the Shield game, uh, you know, and, and then what happens? Do, do you and, – and Cam Green might not have a great outing or Travis Head or Mitch Marsh might lose form. Somebody might get injured. So there's a long way to go. But right now I think this is – the best team that will play the West Indies and onto New Zealand. You're just scared of picking Australia over India because we'll get tons of messages from your Indian friends. But what, 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 what's your thing about, we'll get to the Steve Smith opening slot in a second, any any rumours? What, what have you heard? About Steve Smith? Oh, oh, no, there was no, there's no real rumours floating around. I guess George Bailey said in the press conference that unequivocally Cameron Bancroft was picked, not picked due to cricketing reasons. And there's no lingering sandpaper gate issues. There's no dramas with the fast bowlers. Now, I would say two things. I, I, I take everything that people say in the media with a grain of salt because, you know, if there is some unease, Bailey's not going to come out and say, oh, you know, Cummins yeah. gave me a little nudge, don't pick Bancroft. But I also 
there's an element of I, I do believe that. Like I know Hazelwood, Stark, and Cummins. I mean, pretty well. Like I, I you know, especially Hazelwood and Cummins, and I, I just don't think they would do that to somebody. So I don't want them in the team because yeah, of I, something they've said. I, and I think this is a classic sort of the post JL stage. You can tell Cummins is the the decision maker uh, everywhere. Right, uh, you know, before when JL was in the and McDonald, McDonald yeah, made I, the big he, Travis he, Head he, call in the World Cup. He he, to he keep did, him in. He, yeah, he did. But you know, it still has to go through Cummins, and and Definitely. I think Cummins still has a greater voice than he would have if JL was captain, uh, was coach. I beg your pardon. And so I just think that because of that strong link between George Bailey, who's, you know, recently retired, he has good relationship with, um, with McDonald and Cummins. From what I hear is there was a bit of a discussion looking forward to the future. Pat Cummins sort of, you know, had a bit of a chat to the players. I think Crash Craddock uh, also wrote about this. And it, it was pretty evident that, you know, I think Steve Smith, given his close relationship with Pat Cummins, was said, yeah, I'm happy to do it. If, but as long as... You, you, as in Pat Cummins, felt that it won't not disrupt the team, and and the beauty about Pat Cummins, he's got he's got everyone on his side at the moment. Um, and as soon as even that me. happened, yeah, even you, can you believe that? No, no, took but, a while. <laughs> but the minute that happened, I think Steve was ready, and Pat Cummins said, "Yeah, if you're ready, then 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 go for it." It's interesting as well because if you look back to some of Steve Smith's great runs of form, and he he made comments this to, on Fox Cricket during the Sydney Smash last night, but when he was scoring a ton of runs, actually he and Warner were carrying a whole a whole batting mm-hmm. lineup. But like people forget there was three or four years where everyone was going, "Why can't Australia produce any good batters to help Smith and Warner?" And Smith was getting in there very early. He was batting at three and getting in early or batting at four and getting in early and facing the new ball a lot. And he he said on Fox Cricket that since Marnus has come into the team, and I'll add since Kawaja's form upswing since coming back into the side, Smith spent a lot of time waiting to bat, and he said he doesn't enjoy that. So I, mm. I think if he wants to just get out there and get his innings going, good on him. Like I think I actually think it will help his game because there'll be – I think he's one of the best gap hitters in world cricket. And you know, Gav, in that first 10 overs, there's a lot more gaps. There's more slips the field's up. And he could actually, you know, streak away a few innings and get to 30 or 40 before he knows it. Uh, Absolutely. And and like we said, you know, generally, especially coming into New Zealand or even two tests against the West Indies, you're going to have bowlers bowling around that and a fourth or fifth stump uh, with the new ball. But when come uh, when Steve Smith in the past, is, uh, especially in recent, recent times, I guess when New Zealand were out here last time, teams have started to bowl more at his stumps and put a leg side field, which is very unorthodox. Not, it's probably not going to create as many wicket-taking opportunities Defensive. with the new ball. Yeah, so they're probably going to have to shift the lines, which actually suits Steve Smith because if they mm. get the odd ball on Lex side, he'll whip it to the boundary for four. So, you know, he could be those 20-25 runs, um, like you mentioned, instead of being sort of seven or eight where he really has to grind because there's three mid-wickets and two square legs in place. So absolutely, I think it would work more in his in his favour. And the best thing about Steve Smith is in the last, you know, 15 years, I don't think I've seen a, a guy leave a ball outside the off stump better than Smith does. Mm. He can't wait. So that's the test stuff. 
Also, when they announced the test squad for the West Indies, they did out announce an, a one-day international squad for a three-match mm-hmm. series, which is in early February. The big three quick star Cummins, Cummins and Hazelwood are resting. No surprises there. Mitch Marsh is also resting, so that means Steve Smith will skip at the side. I think probably the, the main headline from this one-day international squad is Marcus Stoinis has been left out. Now, allegedly there's been some negotiations with him, so he's available for the, the SAT20. So he's heading over to South Africa, I think, at the end of the Big Bash to play in the SAT20. But I actually think it's more of a generational thing, Gav. Yep. Stoinis has been part of the last 250 over World Cups. Both times he's had very underwhelming campaigns in 2019 and 2023. So I would say the selectors have probably come to sort of a fork in the road where they're thinking, let's start to invest in some young all-rounders like an Aaron Hardy, um, like maybe a Sean Abbott who's a bowling all-rounder. Let's give them more game time and maybe they start to build up the the, the new 50-over team for the yeah. Champions Trophy and then the World Cup. I, I agree 100, 100%. I mean, Marcus Stornis is 34 years of age. He's he's not going to be around, um, you know, another two years. We know how prone his body is to injuries um, as well. He pretty much missed, you know, three or four games or, you know, during the World Cup because of his groin problems and a variety of issues he's had as well. So I think that's the right way forward. And you just... You know, Australia's got, and given the almost the, the form or uh, the reincarnation, if you can call it, of Mitch Marsh, I think he's just, and, and Australia's always had a lot of good all rounders. And, and I think, you know, and youngsters such as Aaron Hardy, and you mentioned Matt Short, um, depending on, you know, what conditions you're playing in, uh, Cam Green's, of course, there as well. Um, so many options with pace bowling uh, all rounders. Uh, I don't think it's a surprise. I think it's a pretty logical decision. Agree. We get some other exciting inclusions in that one-day international squad. Nathan Ellis comes back in. I think he's a fine white ball bowler Mm. and will do a lot of good things for Australia. Matt Short is coming into the side. He's played a bit for Australia, but he's been in sensational form at the top of the order for the Adelaide Strikers. And he's someone to me, Gav, who's really developed their game this calendar Well not this calendar year, we're only a couple of weeks in, but uh, in 2023, I thought he's shown more sort of, a you know, shown the ability to take on good bowlers now. Um, so like seeing him in, and Lance Morris is there, so we'll probably see a, an international debut for Lance Morris. Uh, I feel sorry for the West Indies top order, they're going to face that. Yeah, absolutely. I, yeah, I think it's a right call. You know, resting players is important. We see it everywhere, I think, you know, but it, in New Zealand right now, having a, a, a series against Pakistan T20s. Um, Tim Saudi's playing. Bolt, of course, is not contracted. He's having time off. Jasper Brummer is not playing for India in the T20s against Afghanistan. So didn't, nobody expected Pat Cummins and, and co to play in this. this And um, give the other guys a go, like Nathan Ellis. So, um, yeah, absolutely spot on. I think we're just going to see more and more of it. And we've talked about it on numerous occasions manners um, that it, it, it's time it's, it's just a different phase in cricket different you know mm. different generation so you're going to have t20 team i think t20 teams and even uh, 50 over teams are going to be slightly different as well i agree definitely all right well that's it for the international stuff i guess um just a, a quick mention the west indies played their tour match um against the cricket mm-hmm. australia 11 and they, they did pretty well they Bowled out Cricket Australia for 174 and replied with eight for 251. 
and then there was a couple of declarations. But but the West Indies, you know, there was some some good signs there. Joshua De Silva scored a hundred for the West Indies, so they've got a little bit of form heading into the Test series. All right, we're going to take our first break, and then we'll be back with a David Warner and a Big Bash update. I'm feeling good. I'm feeling relaxed. Um, but disappointed with here. But yeah, look, I've I had a, a great week. It was overwhelming. Um, I, I've thanked many people. Um, I'll thank them again. Just the, the support that I had um, from the fans and from the boys from from Cricket Australia. Was, they made it a really really special week, and um, I'm forever grateful for that. And, and my wife, you know, for always supporting me, but putting on a, a nice after party for the for, for myself, but for the guys for the last 18 months. It's been a special 18 months. And, um, it, was, it was a great way to go. So have you found out what happened to your cap yet? No. Uh, that was David Warner talking about his first week as an ex-Test cricketer, and he still has no more information now about that baggy green cap. I'm kind of obsessed with that story now, Gab, because I just know there's some sh- shenanigans, some funny business going on. I, I think you should be asking that to someone like a Mitch Marsh going, is it, it's a bit <laughs> of a few rumours. Uh, what do you think of this? And he, he was and, asked and that. He, yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, and my, uh, you know, Mitch Marsh will give you a good answer as well. Yes, and that was David Warner. But what, right. what did you? Uh, while we're on that, just a mm-hmm. quick one. Uh, I know John Buchanan uh, had something to say. In simple, simple terms, you can answer this: Is David Warner a great of Australian cricket? I think he is. I, I don't okay. think he's a, a great test player, but I think if you yep. put everything together, I mean, he scored the second most international hundreds of any Australian batter behind Ricky yeah. Ponting. I mean, I think that's, for me, enough to to say that he is a great, and he's also a great, and you said it the way cricket's changing. Uh, and I said he's yep. not a great test player, but he's a great all-format player. All-format And if you put what, cool. he's, what he's been able to do in all three formats together, as I said, Second most hundreds for Australia in international cricket. I think that's the, the biggest stat that jumps out for me. So I'd say, yes, he's a yeah. great of Australian cricket. What do you think? Um, I'm going to say no. I, wow. I, yeah, I, I look, he's made a lot of runs, but I think sometimes when let's take the runs into context, when he's got his hundreds, and if you look at, you know, I've done a bit of research, but uh, someone like a Mike Hussey, I think, should be, you know, praised even more, more on the same level. And I don't think he gets as many accolades because I think Mike Hussey had more career-defining, uh, match-defining knocks. Uh, of course, batting in the middle order means there weren't going to be 80s and 90s. It's it's going to be more the you know 30s and 40s. But I think he had more, and he's not considered great. So according to me, um, no, David Warner, very very good. But I think great means you should be in the top sort of five or six, um, you know, not just batters, but overall uh, maybe 10 great Australian cricketers. I think he's just on the fringe but not quite there. Oh, well, what a stage. Well, well, I'd agree with that. I mean, I could probably name 10 greater Australian cricketers. But yeah. But but I think I think you're a bit unfair there because I think he's, he, he used to set up series with those hundreds, um, especially yeah, in Australia. Well, I mean, how he many? did a lot of, in Australia. I mean, you know, well, I think that a lot of his I mean, he scored 26 yeah. test hundreds. I mean, you asked yeah, how many, that's them, how many. Yeah, but a lot of them, are, I mean, yes, initially, but you look after that, around that 2014 period, I think 2015, teams knew how to bowl to him, and I don't think he was as influential. Well, as no, so I've done some 
some stats diving on this. So um, before the ban for Sandpaper Gate, his average was 48, say, yeah? After the Sandpaper Gate ban, this is just a test level, his average was 37. So to me, that's the two eras of David Warner. And no doubt he, there was a huge drop-off. But, um, yeah, as I said, just putting everything together, I think he's a great of Australian cricket. And the way he defines a generation, that first ever T20 cricketer, you know, he's, a, he's someone that's, um, you know, he was a unique journey to the Australian cricket team that I don't think we'll ever see again. Um, yeah. Yep, not a great in my ball. Uh, okay, well, I'm glad I, did. I didn't. I, didn't I should have asked him last night. Like, uh, Gav Joshi says, you're not a great. Thoughts? Let's see how that went. Um, no. All right, let's get into the big you're dash. Right. I've got a lot of stuff um, to update. Go for it. So the, the big news is for Brisbane Heat fans is they've um, not just qualified for the final, but they've solidified first place. So they'll be hosting the, the 1v2 playoff match on January the 19th at Gold Coast Stadium. Unfortunately, due to the test being played um, in Brisbane, it's the gab is out of action. So they actually, the Heat have to play their finals in the Gold Coast, which is just another quirk of the scheduling due to the, the World Cup that pushed the West Indies tour back. But I do feel kind of sorry for them. And I was sort of looking through the Brisbane Heat stats and what I like about the Brisbane Heat is it's a team effort. You know, the highest run score is Colin Munro with 224 runs, but then there's tons of other contributors who put in big scores when the team's really needed it. So I think the, the Brisbane Heat are in fantastic form uh, and Xavier mm-hmm. Bartlett their bowler taking 15 wickets um so far in the the tournament someone to watch so gone no I was going to say about about the the big bash I think I always felt you know T20 cricket everyone thinks it's sort of batting game but I always felt like the best bowling team wins and I still think the scorchers are the best bowling team in, wow. in that um and I still think they're the favourites. I know they've had a bit of a, you know, they're not at the top of the table and they've had a couple of losses. But, um, and of course, they have a huge advantage playing at home because teams have to travel across, you know, three hours or four hours across to Nullarbor. But I still believe that. Um, and, and Heat, I think, look, they succeed up. What, what I've liked about the Heat, despite playing two spinners in Kuhneman and, and Swepson, when they bowl well in tandem, I think the Heat, that's when their bowling is, you know, right on par. With, well, Kuhneman's only conceding those. six runs and over this big yep, bash. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. He's been terrific. Uh, I recall talking to him in that Shield game we were covering, and he was had a lot of chat with Nathan Lyon. He was talking to Sock um, about how the wrist position should change when he's bowling in sort of you know T Twenty cricket and try whip it down and into the pitch. So, and I think he's he can bowl with the new ball. I think he's been phenomenal. Yeah, absolutely. So just with the. A, a BBL ladder, uh, Brisbane Heat on top. Then Sydney Sixers leapfrog the Scorchers into second with their win over the Thunder. Then you've got the Perth Scorchers in third, but they're playing the Brisbane Heat today. So when you listen to this, that match will probably have been played. And so you, the ladder could change it. But the Scorchers are in three. And then you've got the Strikers in fourth spot and the Stars in fifth spot. But the, the Stars have one game in hand. So it's actually going to be a really exciting conclusion um, to the Big Bash. There's five teams in it for the four spots and the Melbourne Stars and the Strikers really battling out for that fourth spot. Who's been the biggest disappointment in terms of teams? Oh, well, uh, Sydney Thunder. I mean, we'll, we'll get there. Yeah. But, um, I mean, let, let's get into um, 
the game last night. So it was a record crowd for the Sydney Smash, the biggest ever crowd at the SCG for a BBL game. It was 41,027 people. It was absolutely hopping. Um, the Sixers batted first and made seven for 151, and the Thunder were all out for 132 in reply. I mentioned at the top Steve Smith getting a golden duck. Josh Phillippe made a brisk 40. And in reply, David Warner, he was out for 37 off 39. He tried to hold the Thunder innings together. But the ageless veteran, Stephen O'Keefe, was the star, taking three for 13. It was an uneven SCG wicket, uh, slowish wicket, balls keeping low, and Sock took advantage of that. And the Sixers got the points. They owned Sydney, and the Thunder were mathematically eliminated from the um, mathematically eliminated from the tournament. But yeah, look, I think the Thunder are very disappointing. I mean, the Gades were very disappointing, but they seem to be disappointing every year. But you know, something has to be done about the Thunder. They are just well, too yeah, inconsistent. I mean, Gage, yeah, Gage, you can argue on paper. You know, lo- looking at some of the players. Yes, they've got like Adam Zampa as a bowling unit. But you look at this Sydney Thunder team, the, the one that played last night. Yes, Warner. They had Hales, they had Bancroft, they had Ollie Davis. You know, we've seen him in Shield cricket, and we know how Daniel Sams has played for Australia. Chris, Chris Green, Green, who's skipping. I think Nathan McAndrew is a terrific bowler and and, and a decent bat. Um, you know, Tanvi Sanger. Um, you know, but so, I mean, you've got six or seven players who who are good enough to play for Australia when their form is is there, and you know, but it. it They've got a team that they have a home advantage when they play um, at the showground, which uh, you know we, we haven't really talked about. Um, but because of that, they, they get so many spinners and they play those cutters. And but seriously, like with this team, that they should be in the top four. I think in terms of the agree, uh, you know, yeah. So I, I just think it's been another sort of very disappointing year. Agree, and um, just on. Well, Stephen O'Keefe, he, he's a funny character. So Gavin and I both commentated with him and I t- was, he was interviewed after the game and he said, oh, I had I didn't want to make this season about me, so I didn't tell anyone that I was re- retiring, even though I think most people knew that this would be his last year. He never formally told anyone. But Gav, I had him on Cricket Unfiltered heading into the Big Batch season and he said it on the podcast. So I said to him, you realise you've actually announced this already on Quick and Unfiltered that um, you're retiring this year. So we had that exclusive. But, you know, that's typical sock, isn't it? Like he, he just forgot he'd, he'd said it on the podcast. So it also proves how many Sixers players listen to this podcast. Clearly not many. <laughs> but, you know, he, he's great, Socker. We, we love his work and just, you know, um, just knows so much about bowling, loves a joke, um, and, you know, he's got lots of tales as well. So, um, look, and, and very down to earth, you know, every time, you know, we talked about his, uh, you know, whether it's his test debut or when he won that test match in India and he just sort of plays it down and just, you know, sometimes I'm sure if we have him or see him around, do you reckon we can convince him and one more year for the Sixers? I don't know about that, but we'll get him on the podcast. Um, and just so so back on that game, you know, I wouldn't say it was a substandard pitch at, at the SCG, but it wasn't good. You you don't want a T20 pitch with a lot of variable bounce. And actually, Chris Green said, like, it wasn't even, like there was sort of waves in the pitch. Yeah. Um, 
I think it is time for Australia to have a national pitch consultant to go around the country mm. and sort out our pitches, working with the ground staff. And it, it's not easy. And I think the art of curating has been lost a little because yeah. they're all multi-format stadiums. But I think the two pitches in Sydney haven't been good enough at the showground and the SCG for T20 cricket. And I think they need around the country to make sure the pitches are on the way up. Like, I just think yeah. something's I, been lost. What? Yeah, well, I mean, I know uh, it two or three years ago, I know the ECB definitely have a um, a pitch consultant, I believe. Uh, I know the BCCI have a team like that. Um, oh, these guys are also paid by the, the, the governing body. I think it's, it's, I recall talking to a few people, um, might have been in Adelaide and um, other places where they said the actual sometimes issue is that it's not the Cricket New South Wales who pay the SCG curators. It's actually the SCG Trust. Mm. Um, I, is that right? Well, it's Venues New South Wales. It's an organisation. Not the trust, but yeah. So that's different. Um, while if they were employed by Cricket New South Wales, then that's it's different. You can sort of control it. But here, when a CA guy is going up to them and saying, oh, guys, I hope this is okay, they can turn around and just say, well, we don't work for you. You don't work. You're not even the same part of us. So F off. Um, so that's yeah. probably challenges that that that's there but certainly in the big bash you want to have something some sort of control because we've seen a game wash out we've seen covers come off you know game abandoned yeah abandoned so it's has doesn't give the best look i mean you know here we are we sometimes throw stones at when in sri lanka they cover the ground and in india they say well this looks like a you know like a, a pitch that's not suitable but um here we are. We can't even cover our pitches at the moment. Exactly. So we need a pitch crew. A couple more things with the big bash. Now, people will know on this this um, podcast they've been waging a war against the power surge. But last night I ran into Trent Woodhill, who's one of the, the best uh, batting coaches and coaches in Australia, and he also is on sort of the technical committee for the big bash. Mm-hmm. And he said he, he, he sort of sold me on the power surge. I still don't like it, but he said, you know, it's a rule that's specifically for this domestic competition because he said that in in the domestic in the Big Bash, when teams used to lose three wickets in the first six overs, eighty seven percent of the time they would lose the match. And he said yep. that's different to international cricket because teams, you know, bat deeper and are a lot stronger than these domestic teams. Whereas you'll find at domestic level, you know, they're top heavy with talent and stars at the top, um, but then it might drop away a little bit no disrespect mentioned so he said basically taking away that fifth and sixth over can keep the contest going for longer than um maybe it would have if they lost three wickets and he also said that in overs five and six the run rate used to drop so i'll take him at face value on that so i think they need to do a better job of explaining this power surge and making sure when you're at the ground you know what's going on but that's an interesting angle for for them. Yeah, oh, look, I mean, even in the IPL, having covered a lot over in India, and there is that you know you lose three wickets in the power play, and and team usually goes on to lose. I think the record was around eighty twenty, um, and, and seventh over was the most economical. You you always thought you know that get through the power play, and then it's like the seventh over. You know, Take you you, you bring in that. Yeah, you, well, you t- bring in that 
sort of part-timer and if you get concede sort of seven runs, then you, you've got away with one. Um, and I think that's, and, and, and Trent, you know, coached in the IPL, I understand that. Um, but look, I think it just, I like the, and the, the, the power play because if the ball is swinging a lot, you know, um, it's advantageous because you could have, you could knock three over quickly. Um, if you've got pure swing bowlers, which Australia probably doesn't have. So do you um, like the power surge? I can see why it's there. Um, I don't mind it in the big bash. I, I okay. don't think it should yeah, be think, universal. I agree. Yeah. I think we're on the same page. So that's just um, interesting. You know, uh, as I said, I've been um, very sceptical about power surge and you, yeah, got we, some answers. We, we, we should get more of you on the, on the show. To have Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and, and last thing in the big bash is Aaron Finch has um, declared this will be his final season of professional cricket and he'll retire. And he, he was asked some of his highlights of his career and he talked about the 2015 World Cup and 2021 T20 World Cup victory. You know, captain to Australia, played five tests, 146 one-day internationals, 103 T20 internationals. Now turn the tables on this, Scav. How will you remember Aaron Finch and where do you sort of, you know, how would you describe him as a great ODI player? You know, where does he sort of sit in your rankings? Not a, I wouldn't say he's a great ODI player. I think he could have achieved a lot more. I think he had the potential maybe, or look, I've heard stories um, of him, you know, especially in captaincy wise. I think some might have, some say he is sort of, the next Mr. Grumpy, uh, but he yeah. managed to calm himself uh, d- down. And actually, um, I think tactically he was a very good uh, um, captain. I think he matured as a captain. Um, there, there, there was, a, I think, in his first sort of T20 games, he, he sort of lost calculations, and he, he sort of admitted he's like, "It can't. I wasn't good at maths, so um, I had to improve <laughs> on that." Um, but that's Finch. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, look, one day cricket, I think he played in a very strong team as well. That helped. I probably had a lot of issues with that incoming ball. Maybe I overthought it. I think there was some quote he said, I, I was just trying to be technically too perfect. Um, but look, phenomenal record. You, you, you sort of, he almost goes a little bit under radar on what he's done in one day cricket, especially, and, and even T20 cricket. So, um, seventeen hundreds at one day international level. Yes, averaging thirty eight, thirty nine. Sorry. Yeah, I, yeah. I think I think he'll be remembered more, not just a very good one day batter, but I think he did really well um, in terms of uh, captaincy as well. Interesting word. So a bit like David Warner. I'm on. I'm. I'm sort of on the other side. I mean, I really like Finch. I think he's he's a good player, oh, yeah. but I think he's overrated, and I think. I, I do feel like he held Australian cricket back. It, well, that's such a cruel thing to say, so I'll rephrase it. I, I was hoping a few years ago Australia moved on from him at the top of the order because I always thought he was a good player, but he was mm. limited. And a bit like David Warner, he was a bit of a flat-track bully and would sort of feast on weaker oppositions. But I what, for, what really I noticed was that when obviously Warner and Smith were banned, that kind of gave him a new lease of life. 
all of a sudden he not just had to be a senior player, but he had to be a senior statesman, and he took upon that role really well. But I don't think his batting was at the same level. And you know, I, you know, I was saying five years ago I wanted Steve, Steve Smith to move it to the top of the order in white ball cricket. But yep. so, so I would say Finch, very good player, slightly overrated with the bat. Um, but yep. what he did as a leader when, you know, as I said, strain cricket was falling apart, um, cannot be understated. So, you know, much appreciated, but overrated. Yep, I agree. Yep. Yeah, yeah overrated is a strong word. Um, I think he, he got the most <laughs> out of his ability, that's let's better. put it that way. Yeah. All right. So that's um, it for all the Big Bash stuff. We'll be back in a minute to wrap this up with uh, a little bit of women's cricket news and then can't let it go. Welcome back to the Cricket Unfiltered Podcast. I'm Menace. I'm with Gav Joshi, and we're about to get into Can't Let It Go. I've got a great email from a listener here. But uh, just the last bit of cricket news. Uh, Australia completed their tour of India, the women's team, and they won the T20 series, so they won the final T20 match. India batted first, made seven for 147, and Australia chased it down pretty easily, finishing three for 149. Healy and Mooney put on 85 at the top of the order. They scored half centuries and that allowed Australia to cruise to a series victory. So they lost the test. They won uh, one days, 3-0, and won the T20 series 2-1. So they continue on their merry way and then they play South Africa in a multi-format series starting on the 27th of January. But, Gavin, what do you think India's women's team beating England and Australia in test cricket over two weeks will do for Indian women's cricket. Oh, incredibly. And we, we saw that with the crowds that rocked up um, for the T20s. I think all games had in excess of 25,000, 30,000 people. That, that's phenomenal. Um, it was played in Mumbai, just on, it, they call it New Bombay. Um, so that, that you can see that, you know, there's a lot of interest there. Test cricket is... You, probably not going to get a lot of audience to go to the ground it, you know it can be hot during the day and so forth but still there's decent crowds i think it's going to add so much and i think there should be more women's tests um definitely um, i think next time india come to australia i mean we might see a minimum of two tests maybe even three tests um menace. and you know a lot of people imagine you know at least definitely one test at North Sydney Oval, you might even stage one out sort of in, in the western suburbs somewhere, um, whether that's Blacktown, a lot of sort of the Indian population there, that's something to look at and maybe one down in Melbourne, but I think at Junction Oval or something. So I think you will get phenomenal crowds as well. Um, I think it was a really good test match and, and the one-day series, um, I think, and, and the T20 series, I think India still lack in terms of power hitting, but I was just speaking to... Uh, you know, one of the sort of the fitness coaches, and they say India's catching up. It might take sort of three or four years. He was very, um, uh, you know, he praised the Australian systems because we get girls like Phoebe Litchfield who contracted, uh, you know, but with say a state cricket from the age of fifteen, and then they get to work on their fitness and strength. And he said that's where India's probably lacking because at age of fifteen, sixteen, they probably have all the skill set or a lot of the skill set, but you know, in terms of cricket training to physical training, the ratio is probably in India is still about 90 to 10, while in Australia it's probably still, you know, 60-40. So 
until that trend doesn't change, you probably find Australia still going ahead or England still going ahead in terms of the white ball games. Uh, but in te- definitely in test cricket, I think India will catch up because you don't need that brute force of power. You need more sort of skills. And um, I think India like playing test cricket. So, And beating Australia and England at home, home conditions is, is huge. Yeah, terrific stuff. That was a great tour. Didn't get to watch enough of it. All right, now let's wrap this up with Can't Let It Go, that little bit of cricket news you just can't let go through to the keeper. And so we recorded with News Corp's Daniel Cherney during the week. And um, after that, I received a Can't Let It Go from a listener. Hi, Menners, I just can't let it go. I heard a reporter's comments about Pommy crowds on your last show. From my experience, I find it hard to believe he was at Headingley. For him to rate the English bad behaviour as 6.5 is a joke. I can only imagine he was watching from an air-conditioned press box or doesn't want to upset his English friends. Now, so I'm going to interject here. Dan Cherney is a fantastic reporter and he was watching from an air-conditioned press box. Um, (laughs) Anyway, back to the email. I would give them a bad behaviour and hypocrisy rating of 9.5. Well, listener, I agree with you. And then he continues. On day one of the Headingley test, I was sitting in the middle of the Western stand with my wife and being sledged by the Yorkshire lads around us. I saw 95% of the crowd pointing and yelling, cheat, every time they didn't agree with something. It certainly wasn't a pleasant experience being repeatedly called a cheat which is unfortunately a negative David Warner's legacy has brought amongst a lot of positives. And then he says, I like your quick passion and honest reporting manners. Thank you for that email. And my war against English fans continues, Gav. we got to get you over in um, India as well. Let's see what happens there. I, I love the Indian yeah. fans. I'm sure it'll be all good. Yeah, I, I thought you were going to say you have to get me over to the um, – the, the Headingley test next time and throw well, me I, in one I, of those stands in Yorkshire. Uh, I, I think I think the way Cricket Unfiltered is going, we're going to rack up the sponsors and I think we're, we're going to be covering the Ashes Tour next time Australia go over there. Mm. Matt and Lyon, we're going to celebrate uh, Lino's Big 40 on the podcast while he's still taking wickets and um, who knows, right. Uzi, Kawaja, Uzi Kawaja might be going around still. Last time <laughs> I was at Headingley was so long ago, 1999 World Cup. Australia versus South Africa, last Super Sixers game. Australia needed mm. to win. Herschel Gibbs dropped, dropped the you know, threw yeah. the ball up and dropped it, and Steve War scored 120 not out. Now I'm sure the listeners are thinking, man, as you don't look or sound that old, but yeah, I was at that match. But you know, one thing that really gets discussed about that match is is the massive out that South Africa had, and that was Jack Cullis didn't play. That made them, you know play that extra bowler, Steve Earlworthy. Mm. I don't think it made a difference at the end, but not many people talk about that, that Callis actually didn't play. You know, they talk about all the interesting stuff instead. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So that was a great email. Thanks. I love getting emails from listeners, so feel free to send them in, especially as sort of we wind down the cricket season. Love to hear your takes and your thoughts. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll get some feedback why David Warner is not a great. Yes, please. Or Aaron Finch supporters. Um, send some to me. Um, now, do you ever can't let it go, Gav? Uh, yeah, well, um, I don't know if it's can't let it go, Menes, but it, it was quite interesting watching the first T20 between New Zealand and Pakistan and mm. um, um, Azam Khan. Um, I I like the fact that 
that you know we've, we've got a guy who who's a bit sort of you know bit chubby and he, i don't know if he's passing <laughs> his yo-yo tests or whatever like that he's he, i saw some clips of him taking some fantastic catches as a keeper but geez modern day cricket i know he can tonk a ball but surely you you, you can't be 10 or 20 kilos overweight and playing cricket mate i i I don't know. I think that time's well and past it. He, he he's good, but surely if his fitness is better, he, he can. Just watching him swing the bat, he gets one, you know, around above his waist. And if he had more power, had more fitness, had more balance, I'm sure he can hit it a lot further. Put it that way. Well, you started off so nice there, Gav, and then ended with a massive sledge on as as he can. He'll <laughs> um, probably go out and make a hundred, but. Um, nothing against him. I actually don't mind seeing it, but I'm surprised I've, I've seen it. Put it that way. Well, my can't let it go is um, some disturbing news out of South Africa overnight that the under nineteen, the South African under nineteen mm. skipper, was removed from the captaincy ahead of the under nineteen World Cup. He was removed essentially for being Jewish. That's David Teagan, and it's it's a very you know it's a very concerning situation. Um, so the South African Cricket Board have blamed sort of security issues, but I mean that's discrimination in in any language. Removing someone for their religion, and you know it's disgusting. You know I'm I'm not religious at all in any way. I'm not neither. I'm not. I have, I I am not with any religion. Um, so I have no um bias on this. I just think this is a disgrace. And um, yeah, uh, you know, the, the world's gone mad. Um, wow. Wow, really hit the. Yeah, well, I, mean, I don't want to get into a debate about all this, but no, you know, it's just you know yeah, that news really hit hard overnight that someone's removed yeah. from their religion. You know, um, so anyway, that's my can't let it go. South Africa sort your shit out, and um, there's lots of good articles about that issue. <laughs> so go and um, check it out. Gav, great to talk to you. So we'll catch up. Um, and the West Indies Test starts on Wednesday in um, yes at the Adelaide Oval. So. The, uh, Day-night test match? No, day test match at the Adelaide Oval. Day-night at the Gabba. So That's right. Sorry, I've got that the other, other way around. So um, <clears throat> we'll catch up during the week. Be good. Thanks, everybody, yeah, for listening. Uh, that means we can watch um, cricket during the day, which is fantastic. Can't wait. We'll be back soon. This is a Piccolo podcast production. Podcast Network.